Welcome to the True Vine Podcast. Wherever you are listening, we hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and brings perspective that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. But I'm going to take you to Paul's writings. Let me give you maybe a 60-second history Bible story, Bible lesson. Romans is after the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the life of Jesus Christ. Acts is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The early church started in the book of Acts. People, the foster, received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And one writer put it like this, and fire. Fire. The Apostle Paul picks up in his writings to Rome, and the book is called Romans because this letter, Bible terminology, this epistle, is written to the church in Rome. People like you and I, we happen to be the church in Temecula. So I pick up here, thank you, with his writings. If you look at the screen or if you want to turn in your own Bible, Romans 12, chapters 1 and chapter 12, excuse me, verses 1 and 2. Capitulo 12, verses 1 al 2. The screen reads, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want you to look for a moment. That's the King James Version, verse 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I want to draw a parallel if you'll look here. This is the easy to read version, just verse 2. Look how it reads. It's interesting. Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Hmm. But let God change you inside with a new way of thinking then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to Him and what is perfect. Mm. Don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world. Mm. I'm getting excited. I want to preach to you on this thought. We shall and we shall not. We shall and we shall not. Heavenly Father, help me once again. Standing behind a sacred desk to speak into souls and hearts and homes and marriages. I pray, God, that there is no distraction. Let us focus on the Holy of Holies. Let us sit still in your presence. Let us lean into your voice. God, use me and unctionize me and let me flow in the Spirit, God. Not my Spirit, but your Holy Spirit, that I would articulate the words of heaven today. Anoint us, bless us. I ask this in Jesus' name. And if you receive the prayer, would you shout back amen? Amen Amen and amen. God bless you for standing. You can be seated this morning. Thank you again for being here. We shall and we shall not. I ask you a question this morning, and it's simply this. What identifies people? 
My short list is not a, an exhaustive or composite list. But I come up in my own mind, what identifies people is their dress, their culture, their language, their country, their customs. And often these are recognizable when you see them, or at least when you meet them and talk to them. The United States is a melting pot of humanity, especially in Southern California. Here in Southern California, every nation is represented. Every kindred, every tongue is here in Southern California. You see, I believe that America is a beautiful place, and what makes it beautiful are the people that reside in America. It is also with the church. The people are the beauty of the church. A side note for your consideration that the devil always tries to destroy the beauty of God, the church and the people. He is forever waging a war against God's beauty. God creates something beautiful. God creates things that are innocent. We go back to the Garden of Eden. He created this lush, pristine atmosphere in garden, and it was pure, and it was innocent, and it was honest. And then the devil goes in to try to destroy the beauty and the purity and the honesty and the holiness of God. And he's been trying to do that for the last 6,000 years so let me just encourage someone, when you feel like you are under attack, you are not alone. It's not you personally. It's not against your family. It's not against your marriage. Watch me now. It's against the church of the living God. And so I don't take the attacks personal. I don't take the setbacks personal. Why? Because I tell you over and over that the church always wins, and I am in the church, and we shall win, and we, sh mm. we shall conquer. We shall come out ahead. We shall come out on top. Watch me. And we shall walk on streets of gold. Someone shout amen. That's why you're under attack at times. He attacks God's beautiful and most valuable commodity. Is what? God's people. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 5 and 14 says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. The church, Brother Foster, the light is meant to shine in this dark and dreary world. You see, lights are only relevant when it's dark. Lights are only relevant when you can't see. Lights are only important when it's pitch black. And as the world begins to close in on itself, the church becomes a brighter light every month that follows and every year. We are the light of the world. He says, you are the light of the world. You and I, the church, and it's a, set on a hill, a city, and it cannot be hid. No matter how dark it gets in our society, my friend, as long as that light's burning, there will be places that you can see and places that you can go and places that you can understand. It can be pitch black out, and you turn on one little light. On a few occasions, I've been known to scare my wife. In driving, I remember vividly driving on some dark country roads in times gone by, Brother Fernando. I don't recommend this. Is, leave this to the professionals. Don't do this at home. But we're driving down the road, and there's no stars. There's no street lights. There's no cars. There's no, no, there's no nothing there. And for a split second, I turn off my headlights. The road's straight. Okay, All I got to do is steer straight. Okay? I don't do it before the curve. I don't do it before you go off the mountain. But I'm curious how dark it is way out here. So we're just putting along. Yeah, hey, babe, doing good. Click. Do 
Oh my goodness, I lost my life. Oh, Jesus' name, God help us, Jesus. Pitch black. But as soon as, three seconds later, I turn those headlights on, the whole road lights up. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm simply saying you might be in a dark time of your life. You might be in a weary time in your life. But if you can get to the church, the city, the church of the living God that is set on a hill that will bring light to your soul and your situation, your valley, your darkness, your rainy days, your setback. If I can just get to the house of God where the light is beaming so brightly because God is the light of this world. Someone shout amen. Woo! The church is the light. That you and I, that's God's people. And he's coming back for a church that is shining. Someone shout shining. shining. In this dark world. He'll know you by your light. The Holy Ghost. The oil that's in your lamp. The Gospel of Matthew 25 and 1 says, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps... And went forth to meet the bridegroom. Ten of them. Fifty percent. But on their way, half of them realize, I have no light. I have no oil. I have no Holy Ghost. My friend, God is coming back for a whole church. A complete church. That even though our world around us may be plummeting in chaos and darkness, and what lies ahead, we don't know. But I do know this, that the church always wins, and the church always shines brighter in the darkness, and the church will never go out, and the church's light will always shine. Why? Because all of that was paid on Calvary, and when I'm washed in the blood, what does that mean if you're a visitor? When I'm baptized next Sunday in the name of Jesus, all my sins are washed away, all the darkness is gone, and I become a part of a church of a living God that's coming back, that's looking for lights that are shining all across the community, all... All across, come on now, all across the world. And he's coming for a church that is lit on fire by the Spirit of God that is dwelling inside of God's people, which is the church. We shall be ready. Ha! And so as I preach this message, I begin to thank Brother French, the power of my Sunday school songs about this little light of mine. Mm, sing it, brother. I'm going to let it shine. Ooh, you're not supposed to show up the host, but it's okay. Beautiful. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Won't let Satan, huh? Won't let COVID, oh, don't say that part. But it's a light. And they taught us in... Sunday school, Brother Foster. And they drilled that into us. And we sang because of the music and the tune and the beat. 
But now I sing because of the lyrics and the song and the words. I realize the value that I'm not going to let nothing put out the light of the living God inside me and my family that I'm responsible for. If I'm the spiritual leader, then I need to stand on a hillside somewhere and say, hey, according to the word of God, get your hands off my family, get your hands off my spouse, get your hands off my kids, get your hands off my health, get your hands off my mind, get your hands off my finance. We shall overcome. We are the light. Whole church, complete church. First Peter 2 and 9, you are a chosen people. The king's priests, you are a holy nation, a people who belong to God. He chose you to tell about the beautiful things that he has done for you. I think if time led us and it was appropriate, we could all say, look, hey, this is what God has done. Old school song we used to sing. I'm going to call them vintage songs. A vintage car is way more valuable than a new car. Huh? A vintage barn. A vintage song. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Look what the Lord has done. We shall recognize what God has done. He brought us out of darkness, the Bible says, into his marvelous light. I'm not going back to darkness. I'm not going to let my light go out. I'm not going to wander around aimlessly trying to figure out how I'm going to live my life and spend eternity. No, I'm going to lean into the light, what God has put in my soul and what is put in the church. And yes, he's brought us out of darkness. He brought you out of sin. He brought you out of misery. He brought you out of depression. He brought you out of sadness. And he put a marvelous light into you. And I'm never going to let the light go out. And I'm here to preach to some wonderful people. Keep the light lit. Keep the light on. God is inside of you. It's your thoughts. It's your actions. It's your deeds. It's your lifestyle. It's your motives. What is that? That is all influenced by the light of God's spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells and resides in me. And it's fluid. It's not stagnant. It doesn't have mildew on it. It's not expired. It's not being thrown out. No, it's made new and the blessings of God are refreshed daily. Woo! That's what God does for people. Let me take you back. Happens to be on the screen there, the easy to read version, or if you want to be vintage, there's your King James Version. But Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. I did a little word search of different translations. The curiosity part is how do they frame the first part of that? And be not confirmed to this world. How do other translations frame that? Now, let me share a few with you. Maybe one of them blesses you. Of course, the King James you see there, and be not conformed to this world. The New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior of customs. ASV version, and not be fashioned according to this world. The Americ Bible, Americ Bible, do not imitate this world. Contemporary English version, don't be like the people of this world. The good God's world trans, excuse me, God's word translation, don't become like the people of this world. 
Another version, do not follow the customs of this present age. Here are many examples of what not to be like. My conclusion, after seven translations with different phraseology and language, my conclusion is this. We ought to be separated from the world. We ought not to be in harmony and tethered to the things of this world. This world is a temporary place that we are living and residing. The song, vintage song, says, This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world. Come on, somebody, you know it. But even though I can't feel at home, I still, Brother Tony, reside in this world. I'm not comfortable. I can't feel at home. I'm waiting for a better place. I'm going to walk on streets of gold. But in the process of not feeling comfortable, I've got to make sure that my little light shines in my heart and in my home and my children and my spouse and my... Mm, hey, this world is not my home, but I'm still alive and living and moving and doing what i got to do to make it happen. But someday, someday, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, someday... Someday he's going to descend with a shout and a trump. And the church, watch me now, the light of this world will be extracted out. And we shall walk on streets of gold. And we shall inherit our... Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Hey, 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 if you haven't been lit by the word of God and God hasn't changed your life, today's the day. Next Sunday's baptism Sunday. Let us wash away the sins and begin a brand new life. In Christ Jesus. And so I go back to my title here. We shall and we shall not. We shall not be worldly. We shall not be impure. We shall not be unholy. We shall not be ungodly. We shall not be immoral. We shall not be unrighteous. Today we prayed for our students send them back to school in environments of ungodly influences. Today, we, peti we petition heaven for our homes. Today, I declare that we are God's people. And today, we affirm we set ourselves apart from this world. Today, we offer a covering to our students and the teachers. And today, we examine ourselves before God. I can't get out of my head, my spirit, Paul in Romans 12, 2. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thoughts. Don't be... Don't change yourselves to be like the people of the world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. We shall not think like the world. We shall think like the Word of God. We shall not think like that, but we shall think like this. And it brings me to the point of my message that I want to talk about us. Just you in God. Communion. 
When you're in communion with someone, you're in harmony and communication. See, Paul writes again, and a communion really boiled down to his self-examination. I want you to get this. Someone shout self-examination. Self. Not you examining. No, I'm not. Ex- no, I'm examining me. Just God and I, Brother Foster, searching our hearts, looking for the validation from God. So my message title, We Shall Be Holy. We shall be pure. We shall be righteous. We shall be godly. We shall be ready. We shall be honorable. And part of being holy and pure and righteous and godly and ready and honorable is searching ourselves. You see, you know yourself best. We know people by their outward actions and words, personification of who they are. But you know the inside of you. You know your thoughts. You know what you struggle with. You know your weaknesses. You know the cracks and the frailty of who you are. And communion allows us to examine our weaknesses, ourselves, our hurts, our setbacks, our anger, our bitterness before God. And so I say this morning that we shall examine ourselves. We shall come clean. We shall answer to God. We shall submit to God. We shall because it's honorable in the word of God. So let me talk to you for a moment about communion. And I'm going to ask you the question, what should you know before you take communion? You see, communion is not something that maybe you master or completely understand. It's not done in most churches on a weekly basis. The Bible says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Nowhere in my study, Brother French, have I found the definition of how often. So it's left, Brother Foster, to the heartbeat of a pastor, maybe God's voice to the church. And as we lead up to revival, we have a revival in September. We have a revival in October. I felt to be prudent as a pastor that we need to examine ourselves. So that brother Garcia, when the man of God shows up, hear me out for a minute. He steps in this pulpit. I believe it's September the 12th. 12, 13, 14, 15, four services that he steps in here have only been talking to God. But when he gets here, we as the church have prepared our hearts and our spirits to hear the small, still voice, to push back on the clutter and the static and the chatter and lean in to what God has for this church. And I want to commend and I appreciate and I salute those of you that did an all-night prayer meeting this last Friday. In this place, you are sitting, folks, on holy ground. The fact that we're here and two or three are gathered together, that makes it holy. But somewhere, Brother Foster, in my little human brain, I feel like it's been amped up because people prayed from 6 o'clock or 6.30 on Friday to 6 or 6.30 Sunday, Saturday morning, 12 hours 
to be honest, while all of us slept. And maybe you slept a little better because they prayed. And so those of you that pushed away from your pillow and your bed, those of you that have gone on an extended fast leading up to the revival, I want you to know as a pastor, I feel the urgency in the spirit and I feel the power behind what you're doing. And I feel confidence in my heart and my spirit. But I'm telling you, that's coming from those of you that are fighting spiritual warfare behind the scenes for this local church and those that haven't even been a part of our church yet, that we are doing what God's called us to do because we shall overcome and we shall be victorious and we shall reach the lost. So as a pastor... I say thank you for fighting the good fight. But back to my question, maybe if communion is new for you, what should you know before you take communion? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, again, that's a letter to the church in Corinth, save believers, that's after the Gospels, it's after the crucifixion, it's after the day of Pentecost. These are people just trying to live for God. And he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I pick up in verse 27, Wherefore, wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink of this cup of the Lord, here's a key word, unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. I'm going to explain. But let every man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eateth and drink unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, for this case, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we judge ourselves, this is Paul speaking, if we judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. So back to my question, what should you know before you take communion? When we take communion, we are coming to God with purity and innocence. Maybe we're coming to God broken and confused and upset and angry and bitter. But we have to make sure that we are not doing this unworthily. It's not a casual, half-hearted program, event. I showed up on Sunday and they served communion, so I said, okay, give me a drink. <laughs> Let me tell you my pastoral conviction of unworthiness. In the context of searching yourself, in the context of the unpardonable sin, you ever heard that term, the unpardonable sin? And there's probably honestly a hundred definitions out there somewhere. But let me give you my definition as your pastor or as a minister of the gospel if you're visiting us. The unpardonable sin is unforgiveness. Because it's very plain and clear in Scripture that if we don't forgive, He says, I can't forgive you. So my question to us would simply be this. What could you do that God cannot forgive you. What could you do? You could sin, God forgives you. I, there are, I believe, people on death row. For obvious reasons, God can forgive and God has forgiven. 
our mistakes, our actions, our regrets, our scars. We believe that the blood of Calvary is so powerful, it washes away all sin. But if I don't forgive, the writer tells me, he says, God is speaking that I can't forgive you. So what can I do that God can't forgive? I can have unforgiveness in my heart. Search your scripture. There's nothing else that you can find or search that God will not and cannot forgive. He can do it all. So I have to make sure that as I take part of communion, that I'm not drinking unworthily with unforgiveness in my heart. Again, let me just repeat myself. If I don't forgive, the Bible says it, God cannot forgive me. True statement. So somewhere in the context of the unpardonable sin, the word unforgiveness has to be framed within that. And so in order for me to drink worthily, I've got to have a right attitude. I've got to be sincere. I have to have a pure heart. But maybe somewhere along the line in your life, a spirit of unforgiveness with an incident or an event never really got dealt with. And that's what Paul's saying here. Hey, let's judge ourselves. I'm not judging you, Fernando, if you have unforgiveness. I'm judging myself. Paul's very plain there. Don't be pointing your finger around wondering what's good. No, no, no. Just curl it back in. Say, God... You see, the disciples, the Last Supper, they're all milling around, laughing, telling jokes, blah, blah, blah. And the Lord says, today, one of you shall betray me. <gasps> Holy hush comes over the table. And this is what I admire the disciples for. They respond. They don't know what Jesus is going to say. Their automatic response is, Lord, is it me? Now, you would think if you were scheming and conniving, you would know it's you. It's like, ooh, snap. But they are so sincere. Lord, is it me? Surely not me. Oh, my goodness. God, please tell me, no, it's not you. They were one to make double, double sure that God's prophetic words weren't in their life, even though in their mind they thought it wasn't. Of course, we know the story. Judas stands up, runs out, hangs himself. But at the table, they're talking. Is it me? Here's my point. They're judging themselves. I don't get any inclination that they knew Judas was going to be called out. There's no innuendos in the Scripture that Judas is going to be called out that night. And so they don't know. This is getting a little spooky with God. Whoa, is it me, God? My point to all this is when we take communion, we have to take a moment and say, God, is there any wickedness, vile, malice, darkness in my heart? And so this is what you must know. Communion is serious. It's not spooky. It's not scary. But it's a purifying process. 
He says that the cup is a representation of his blood. You know what we're doing? We're getting a blood transfusion from the heavenlies. Spiritual dialysis. Hey, get rid of all of my impurities. And what I have coming in, in a form of a cup, and the symbolic version is fresh blood. Fresh life. Nutrients. Impurities. Vitamins. Etc. So if I'm going to bring in a fresh anointing, I can't be putting that in old wineskins. So there's a, with me, there's a come and clean with God. Now let me back up in a minute and we're going to serve you communion, providing I haven't scared you. It's not scary. Just make sure your heart is right. And here's, I'm going to say the caveat, the disclaimer, the asterisk at the end. If you've dealt and struggled with unforgiveness... And I, maybe I said something, you got a revelation. I never viewed it that way. I never heard that taught. Ah, now, I, now I'm afraid. I'm just telling you, as a pastor, and I'm administering communion, that I believe God would grant me this liberty to allow you to make things right in your unforgiveness, the unforgiveness of your heart, by promising God, if I take communion, God, I will fix that this week. Because here's the problem. If you don't, the enemy will say, hey, you have unforgiveness. You haven't dealt with it. You know what they did to you. So you can't take communion. So go get it figured out. And when next time they serve communion, oh, well, then you can do it. Okay, then you're going to ask yourself, well, when are they going to serve communion again? And you're going to ask me. And I'm going to say, I don't know because I'm just led of the Spirit. Is communion on the calendar? No. I'm just led of the Spirit. Hey, I I feel like we need to do communion. So don't let the devil twist up an opportunity for you to be healed of forgiveness. Unforgiveness, excuse me. So what I'm simply saying is if, that, if you feel there's a tingent little bit in your heart, you say, God, I'm committing to you by taking communion and I will chase down, call, text. I will do everything I can to free myself and forgive this person this week. If you'll allow me to take communion and bless me this week. Because the devil will tell you the opposite. You can't take it. He'll tell you stuff, oh, something's going to happen to you if you do that because you're taking it unworthily. No, no, no. My heart's pure. I got a revelation. I got a word for God. I'm going to fix it this week. Give me some communion. I need a blood transfusion. That's what he calls the juice, the blood. The bread is likened to his body that was beaten. It's, this is symbolic. And so the body of Christ, the blood of Christ is part of what I'm doing today in a symbolic manner according to Paul's teachings. And so that's why I've already preached, separate yourself from the world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't don't, uh, match the world. Don't copy the world. Don't mimic the world. Separate, Paul's saying. And so we've come to the point now that I want to say a prayer for us and give us two minutes to think this through. I've slowed it down because this is serious stuff. I want God to honor what you do. And God will. And God does. So let me pray first. Brother Gary, I know I'm 
on the sound. I'm catching you off guard a little bit. But after my prayer, can you give me two minutes of some prayer soft music just so we can get our mind on Jesus? At the end of the music, the pastoral staff, the ministry will begin to hand out the juice and the wafers. And then if you'll just hold it and wait for my lead, I'll walk you through the scriptures and I will take communion with you. So let me do a corporate prayer and then we'll have some soft music and then we'll begin to administer communion. Heavenly Father, we have come to a very solemn time in our life, our day, our week. I'm asking God that my teachings would not confuse somebody, would not scare somebody. Lord, that is not the intent. My teaching is to bring clarity so that we as a church can receive communion this week, today. And anything that you need to do in our hearts or that we need to do, Lord, with you or with someone else, we commit to working through that and fixing that and liberating ourselves from unforgiveness, God. That as we move into revival, you are coming into a pure and godly and holy church, that we have come clean and you have enabled us with revelation You've inspired us with your spirit, God, to take the next step and to make things right in our lives. And God, I pray for everyone that hears me today, everyone that's streaming online, God, that you would speak to their heart wherever they are watching from, whatever their device is, God, that the spirit of God that I feel that is upon me this morning, Lord, will find them and love them and hold them tight and assure them that with a pure heart and communion, God, you reset and you restore and all is well. And we're anxious, God, for you to do that to us today. Let that be so in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. You can visit our website or church app if you would like to give. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe, like and share it with your friends, and tag us on social media. Because we want to witness with you what God is doing in your life. Thank you and God bless.